Hi. Hi. Welcome. Welcome to the Brand Labs. Is Ryan with me up there? Um, what a beautiful video that was um, done for us by Comic Boy. So big um, thank you to them for taking care of that. Here we go. Welcome to the Brand Labs 2017 Fearless Conversation. We've been doing this now for about five years. Oh my gosh. And look at the size of this crowd. It is so exciting. A big, big thank you to our sponsors for tonight, Forays, NPR News, Pixie Dust, and MHA Labs, that you brought us here together tonight. And to all of the partners in this room, there are so many of you, and without the support and volunteerism and donations, yes, donations, um, we couldn't do the work that we do. So... We know that those headlines are going to become a reality. And Mad Men days are over here in the Twin Cities because the Brand Lab works. We are breaking down systemic barriers to, in order to make sure that the industry truly thrives on the insights and creativity of all of the talent of our country. Oh my god, I love those kids. They're so amazing. <laughs> And, and watching that video, I, ha I had to say I had a little tear because I've known those young people since I first met them in the classroom when they've been through this path of the Brand Lab. So exposure. They're introduced to the idea of a creative career, a viable creative career, as many of you in this room know. And then I watched them as they killed their internships and they had access to the people and the place. And then now as I watch them in college and they're embracing all the opportunities the Brand Lab continues to build. Today we have partnerships with um, co local colleges. They give our students, because they're so awesome, scholarship money. And a year ago from, um, from today, um, we only had you know one person helping our alumni. Today we have 55 one-on-one -on -one mentor matches. Those, that's you. Those are industry professionals. <laughs> that are helping our young people get that first job, get that internship without the Brand Lab, because that's the goal. And finally, and why we're here today, is to be fearless. Because if we do all of this pipeline program, it's not going to work. We know the research. We know that we need to build workplaces that are free of bias and inclusive, so all people can thrive. And last year when we were here together, many of you might be new to the Brand Lab, welcome. Um, we've done our own research to try to understand where the benchmark is. And two years ago we did this study, only 15 agencies said yes to releasing their demographic data. And now 37 agencies have participated. So we still have work to do. 7.4% of the industry here locally are people of color. We know we can do better and we know the talent is coming. But that is a collective movement. So thank you for being part of that. Together we'll really make the change that we're all seeking. And like I said before, the talent is coming. In the next year or two years, we'll have, gosh, 200 kids graduating looking for jobs. And I know a lot of people here want to hire them. So tonight, we're... Being fearless, we're going to lean into this conversation and really try to unlock how brands interact with the brand of America. And I know this is a pretty hot topic, so we're probably going to open it up sooner than later to your conversation. And now I want to introduce to you Stephanie Curtis from NPR. 
Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having us here. We are excited about the conversation. I'm going to introduce our panelists now. We've got three great panelists. We've got Tom T.D. Dixon. He's the Chief Marketing Officer for Jack Link's Protein Snack. Lily Hall, founder and CEO of the creative agency Knock. And Robert, Robert was wanting me to do some kind of a sports intro. So Robert Clifton Jr., Chief Creative Officer of 1035 and co-founder of Contender, a multicultural think tank. How'd I do, Robert? Good. Well. <laughs> I'm public radio. That's all I could summon up, man. That's it. But I, I, for public radio, let me tell you, that was a lot. All right. So backstage, you know, Ellen said she wanted to talk about brand America, and she did not define it. And I took a whack at defining it backstage, saying that the idea of brand America is... That idea that we, you know, it's so, it feels like it was long a long time ago when you could put on an ad after Archie Bunker and they'd give, everyone would give, the, the Coke would be redistributed and everyone was smiling and the world was all together. And that once upon a time, we could think about the audience that way. We could think about the public that way. And that we, and that, can we anymore? Can we think about Brand America that way? Can we think about reaching everybody? Who wants to go first? TD? Sure. Yeah. Hey, everybody. How you doing? <laughs> um, you know, I think um, coming from the brand side and really thinking about how um, you speak to your audience, right? At the end of the day, for us, it's about moving boxes and how how can you make your products relevant to that particular consumer, whoever they are, so that they ultimately want to buy you. And, and we're always constantly battling with this challenge of ubiquity versus polarity, right? If you think about mm -hmm. it, the more polarizing you are, the more relevant you are to that particular consumer group, but that means that you also alienate other consumer groups. So whether or not I think you can ever get to um, a Coke and a smile and everybody's happy ever again, I don't know. But I think what we do want to focus on and what we try to focus on is if you can find the job, right, that, that, that unifying job that is relevant regardless of what your race or demographic or economic status is, that gives you that common thread that you can speak to a multitude of different people. Lily, do you think it's dangerous to try to speak to everybody or do you alienate well, I think some it's, people if you try to talk to everyone? I, well, we, we had an opportunity to talk in the back and we had varying opinions, but I, I, I would say it's, it is dangerous today. And I would say that um, it gets watered down if you're trying to talk to everybody. Um, we were trying to think of an example of a good brand that's doing it well. Um, we didn't come to a conclusion yet, so maybe the audience if can anyone help has us any ideas. with that. But I would say that, um, obviously, we've seen recent examples of brands that are trying to be all things to all people. And it's dangerous today because of, of the media and the channels and demographics. And I think America's changed. I think the landscape has changed. I think the population is obviously changing. And um, we can't you know, be respectful to the client, the brand, if we think that we can capture and um, acquire and make everybody happy. Isn't there danger in trying to reach particular audiences individually, though? I mean, we, earlier today, uh, Ellen had sent us a video of a Shea ad for 
a hair care product that had been founded by an African-American uh, family. A man and his, his mother, I think, got involved, and it had been primarily for African-American women. And they wanted to reach out to new groups, and they did it in a way that that did not go well, and that they got taken apart in social media, because if you haven't seen it, it's an ad where they have women with, I mean, the silkiest, barbiest, blonde <laughs> hair, and one is a redhead, and they talk about how they hate, they have hate their hair days, and is it a danger when you try to reach out to a new group that the your base will see it, or someone else will see it, and take offense, and it takes off? I mean, I think there's the ways to do it. I don't think that that execution was great. And I think it's easy for us to judge and sit here, you know, we're on the back going, okay, we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. But I I do think that you need to think about who your base is and you value that base. That's who's built your brand and your business. And and are you willing to risk and walk away from from that? Um, And so, uh, you know, it's it's tricky. I mean, we're all in this business. We're all feeling the pressure, um, the clients, the brands, the companies, and and I, I do feel that that it's definitely a conversation we all need to be you know we need to have and 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 in what what's at risk robert robert's got a lot of you're gonna say something (laughs) if not i have a question for you or you can just talk i was voted um most talkative in high school (laughs) that's true i mean there's always one on every panel some people are most likely to succeed or best dressed i was most talkative (laughs) um I think it's uh, I think it's a couple of things. I think I think the first thing you have to ask it, it really comes to the whole issue of diversity. I think it's who's writing the brief for Brand America, and I think if you have um, the right people together and all those people are thinking about everyone, mm-hmm. you can find a way to have um, a cross between what uh, Tom talked about, which is your universal um, insights, but then also you can have segment-specific insights. So you can find a cross and overlay those two things, and then through the whole process, you have the right people involved. You can find a way, I think, to talk to everybody. I think one of the main issues that's happening um, today with some of the things that are being done is they're not authentic, and I don't think anybody will blame you if you're authentic and talking to another group, and it, it's not... Um, excluding anyone. It's okay to talk to someone and have a great conversation with them about what it is. It just needs to be authentic. I think in some of the things we've seen, I don't want to say Pepsi, but... <laughs> Pepsi. Um, Pepsi. Nobody. It wasn't, like one, it wasn't like one group was offended. I think everybody saw that it wasn't authentic. Um, I look at that, you know, let's just say I was in the room, right? Um, And they paid me enough money to speak freely. We talked about that. You know, I had a, you know, five-year, you know, parachute where I get paid for five years. I I can speak freely. I don't have to worry about feeding my children. Um, For me, I wonder what would happen if that spot was, they had actually thought about how people really feel about what's going on between the police and, you know, who, who's right and who's wrong. And think about people who, like, for my wife, when she sees something happen to someone, um, a black male with the police, she sees her sons, right? Which is very serious, right? It's not like some you give them a Pepsi and everything's okay. So I think they would have thought 
thought about how they did it, but I think they could have addressed that issue. And I wonder what would happen if they had done that spot and there was no logo on it. Like they really cared and they were trying to make a difference, right? We talked about the Heineken spot, meaning there was no logo. This is just something I want to talk about and I wanted to put out there and I would use my money and speak about it. I'm not trying to get anything back. I don't want to sell. I just want to address the issue because this issue is relevant to my target and there was no logo on the end. And then everybody was talking like, who did that? Who put that message out there, right? Mm-hmm. And then it's like, oh, I heard Pepsi did it. Oh, so they really care. They're not trying to get a dollar from me. But you, you notice everything was red and blue. And, mm-hmm. you know, they had all these things going on that show you they were trying to basically appropriate or grab a hold of something and turn it into a vehicle to sell something. And so that's where the problem comes in. How does something like that happen? I mean, what... How do you get people at the table? I mean, seriously, weren't y'all thinking that? How did this happen? Um, uh, the the image of her that always sticks in my mind is the when Kendall Jenner removes her blonde wig and throws it in the face of the woman next to her that someone carefully freeze framed and 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 <laughs> distributed on Twitter and was a nightmare. How do you get people at the table and get them to feel like? Maybe not give them a five-year parachute, but get them to feel like they can talk that way. I mean, I think that's the biggest opportunity that I think we have in this industry, and no matter what side, if you're on the agency side or if you're on the client side, to be able to have that, um, you know, that get-out-of-jail-free card. Like, this doesn't feel right. Um, And I think, I'm sure there was someone at that table that had that feeling, but maybe they didn't feel like they could raise their hand. And I think that that's something that we all need to look at in terms of leadership, but also hierarchy and roles. And I know that there's, you know, in a lot of places, there's a lot of rules. But I think when you're in a situation where something feels like it's a train wreck, um, you know, using instincts and just speaking up and of course people may be afraid because they don't have the five-year parachute but I think as as cultures and as agencies and as marketers it's our responsibility to create this environment now I mean if not we're going to continue to see um, you know these experiences that aren't great for people I think um, also uh, these things are just the glaring things I think there are a lot of um, what you would call microaggressions that take place um, in uh, some of the communications that you have. And people don't always say anything about it, right? You know, my mom will look at something, you know, on TV and say, oh, why'd they do that? Or why is that that way? But she doesn't necessarily, you know, start a protest, right? She just feels differently. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like sometimes if brands were to think of it as almost like a romantic relationship, right? Your <laughs> your relationship with your customer, it kind of, it can grow apart without it having to be a big thing, right? Mm-hmm. So slowly but surely like these people with the, the hair care product, they are, they're not leaving right away, but I think they're considering someone else. <laughs> and so now they're looking around, right? And so, you know, I still need to have my hair right. So I'm going to keep on using your product for now. But when I find something that works, I'm going to leave you. And Mm -hmm. you won't see that overnight. So I don't think that brand looks at their numbers and goes, oh, my God, it changed. But in three years, they're going to look at their numbers and say, why why are our numbers down? And then, you know, like a romantic relationship, it's too late to get them back, right? You should be doing it right in the first place. You shouldn't be coming on. What's going on? Or a new person's going to come in and try to move them. Why is the U-Haul out there? Why is the U-Haul falling? (laughs) <laughs> but I think I think Robert said something 
something really um, profound earlier about this mixture of cause and commerce. And I think mm-hmm. that's where brands make up a mistake. And, and to his point, we were talking about this in the back room, but this notion of authenticity. And I think when you mix those two, that's one of the things that, that I've learned, you know, looking at it from the brand side, that when you try to mix those two, it comes across really inauthentic. And then the consumers will punish you for that. They might not punish you immediately, but over time, they will punish you for that. What, where does the decision, do you get a lot of... Uh, clients who want to make a statement or or think oh, our customers care about this so we should act like we care about it or are they genuinely wanting to make a statement and would you is there anything that would ever work well with jack links where you're like yes we want to venture into yeah this territory and make a statement about something yeah, I mean, I think that's the the important thing when you want to get into cause, when you yeah. want to get into some sort of social responsibility area, is that it has to be authentic to what you do. So, you know, as an example with Jack Links, we look at what we do. We provide shelf-stable, portable meat snacks, right? Mm-hmm. So if we said, hey, we want to go and, uh, you know, save uh, the energy crisis, that would be inauthentic. What, what does portable meat snacks have to do and Sasquatch have to do with the energy crisis, right? I just love you saying portable meat snacks. It's very I know, it just funny. rolls off the tongue, right? Um, but zero fat. As a, yeah, zero fat. You know, only two yeah. grams of sugar and I don't know, everything the body needs. No, but when we think about, all right, where can we have a purpose? Where does what we do end up feeling like it's authentic? And you think about disasters and you think about the times when people, whether it's hurricanes or floods and those sort of things. They don't have refrigeration. They don't have, you know, heating, right? But they still got to eat. Well, that's where if we wanted to give, that's the place for us to give because now our product actually has a true reason for being. So those are the kind of areas that we can be there. We still wouldn't want to make it appear to be commerce, but we can be there and it feels authentic. Who do you think has done it? Well, you know, we just keep saying Pepsi, but, it, you know, someone who brought it, who, who took on a cause and thought our customers care about this we care about this let's do something about it and it went well and it had that authenticity all right i'm gonna say pepsi now all right so um actually i um created a um Black History Month program for Pepsi last year. Um, it was called The Recipe, and they have a, a deal with the NFL. And uh, what we went in and said is, hey, you got all these NFL players, and we know that that will attract people, but why don't we pick the NFL players that are doing something outside of football um, in business? And um, we pulled them together, and we created this program where they went to eight or nine cities, and we had these um, things much like this where people could come in and talk and meet with these football players, which was the draw. But then they talked about, you know, education and business and the other things they were doing to give back to the community. And it was a great program and everybody loved it. It went to all these different cities. So Pepsi does it right when they do it with me. So, uh, <laughs> that is the important message of the night. Right. So I you think got a cause, yeah, Robert. It, portable meat snacks. Yeah. Check. I, I don't think it's. I don't think any any of the problems that we have. All those things can be solved if you get the right people in the room. And just like you have people asking the question of is this right, it's just even the question of what if. I mean, when you're coming up with ideas, it feels like there's so much fertile ground out in the world. There's so many things that we could be thinking of and new products and new problems that people have that might the solution might help someone else that if you can have the diversity 
which I mean, I think it's been proven through all kinds of science. I'm a creative. Don't get me into all of that kind of stuff <laughs> about, you know, the science behind diversity and w- mm-hmm. the creativity that comes out of it. I just think we got to work to get to that place. And we're closer than we were when I started in this business. But really get to understanding the power of that and what it's going to do for business and commerce, because, you know, that's going to give more people jobs and it's going to create more products and it's almost like if our industry doesn't do it, it's like it'll take care of itself to me, right? I think we've got an audience of people who already buy that diversity is important for the creative process, for commerce. For How do you then get the right people in the room and not only just do a hire, but then hire somebody who then feels comfortable speaking out and isn't just there, you know, in quiet and holding back and feels like they can, they can speak out? So the five year pressure. <laughs> no, I think I think besides it's, the big payoff. No, I think it's partly. Um, who me? <laughs> no, I wish. <laughs> the um, I think it's partly in numbers too, right? You kind of need to have some people. It's like if you you know if you drop a if it was a drop of paint dropped into a bucket of water, it just dissipates, right? So you want to have a certain concentration. So you want to be enough people there that they feel comfortable speaking up, that they feel like they have people who have their back. You know that is because it, if it's just me at Pepsi and they clip me, like nobody's gonna step up. You know I feel you know to be more like Jerry Maguire or something, right? <laughs> like you, there needs to be a collective thing of everybody that's working somewhere to kind of rally around people to say, you know, this person's spoken up and this is right. So you need a collective of people on both sides of the equation to kind of help. How do you do it, Lily? Well, I mean, it starts with leadership. So I think that that you have to set the ground rules of the agency or the the department or the, the company because I think that it, that if people don't feel safe, it's a hard thing to do. I mean, it's I mean, even as a senior person, if everyone in the room, you've got that pack mentality and everybody thinks it's a great idea and it's the direction to go and you're sitting there like... Oh. This is this is not right. I mean, I think it starts with leadership. I think we need to use ourselves as examples. I mean, I think that at NAC, what what we've always done is is you know, when I started the agency, of course, I couldn't even hire a bunch of people. So I I actually sought out people that were experts in certain areas and certain expertises, and really finding the right people for that particular project and who knowing the audience. And if we don't have that, then we find them and we bring them in, whether it's a project. Um, but it's really understanding who you're talking to and making sure that somebody at that table connects with that audience, hopefully more than one. Um, but I think it's it's a big job and I think that um, it it's definitely starts with leadership and you can't reprimand people for speaking up. And you know, we've heard that time and time again. I mean even people that we hire today that say I could never I could never have question the creative director or you know the strategist um, and that that needs to stop and I think that that when that stops and people you know you have to be respectful about it it's all about diplomacy how you package it maybe it's not in that particular meeting maybe it's after um, but whatever way just making sure that there's um, an opportunity for somebody to come and say something do you ever worry that uh, if you that people be too timid, not just speaking up, but too timid about going after something. Like you're like 
if someone comes to you and says, how about having Sasquatch sing with Titus Burgess about <laughs> cooling down cooling with down. Uh, this, if you just got to Google this when we're done, not now. Uh, how do you make sure that you blend that speaking up and being willing to take risks, especially since people are so scared of taking risks when it comes to diversity and reaching new groups? Yeah, and I think there's mucking it up, and there's also just a fear and yeah, being scared. no, and I think you said it best. It, it, it really it starts with leadership and, and leadership um, being comfortable with enabling people to have those courageous conversations. You know, and, and I think it really comes down to the values that you have as an organization. You know, one of the values that we have at Jack Links is be real, and that's all about hey, tell us what the real deal is, whether it's popular or not popular. And I think once you create an environment, regardless of what level that that's encouraged and not only encouraged but demanded, then I think people feel much more comfortable with it. And you're absolutely right. You got to do it in the right way and you got to do it in a productive way. But ultimately, being able to have those courageous conversations ultimately enables you to unearth when there are things that aren't quite, you know, passing the muster test. When do you think things started changing a lot in uh, diversity, in creativity, and in the marketing, in, in at agencies and companies? Did it 20 years ago, 10 years ago? When have you seen a real sea change? A sea? A sea change. <laughs> when you started, Huddle. what did it feel like? How does it feel now? Does it feel like a big difference? No. I, I would say this. No, it, it doesn't feel like a big difference in reality, but I will say that now that brands are speaking up, because brands really control the money, right? Mm -hmm. um, when you look at it, to some degree, the agency has a lot of other um, sources of income from other brands, right? But the brand is the one that really suffers at the end of the day, right? The agency can go get another brand, but the brand is, you know, the brand is the brand. So now that brands are actually speaking up and, you know, we've seen the articles with, you know, CMOs and people that are high up in companies publicly saying that something needs to change. I think that's very powerful and, you know, I, 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 you know, I would just like to commend those people. I'm sure they take some heat, you know, whether that's, you know, at, you know, work or just personally people, you know, coming at you, but, you know, no, there's no change without struggle. But, you know, just the fact that they're stepping up. You always heard about it and it, it felt like when I first came into business it was more of a, the right thing to do. Um, now it feels like it's a business problem. Mm -hmm. Um, but it still feels like people are moving a little slow. It doesn't feel like they're doing as much ex experimenting or doing things to actually try to solve the problem. Um, people are like, well, I don't really know if it'll work or, you know, I know I need to change, but they're not making radical change. They're not doing something tomorrow. And I think that, you know, we all could do something, even just personally, if it's just grabbing somebody's side and taking them under your wing, um, I've said crazy things to people. Um, <laughs> when I I was on diversity, you know, uh, panels or councils, I, you know, I told people, I was with one, it was a bunch of senior people. And I said, why don't we do the, um, my dad is a client trick with 
diversity, right? Meaning, if somebody's son, and I know, you know, we all know this, like somebody's the son of a client, when they come to work at your agency, <laughs> they're gonna be successful, right? Like, it's almost like, you know, they tell somebody, this is your guy, this is your young lady, right? Their mom gives us $100 million, <laughs> their account personal creative, it's your job to make them successful. You get a bonus if they're successful. They can't fail. If they're if they late for work, you go to their house, you get them up, and you bring them in here. Right? Like you really help these people and you carry them along because this is important to our business. I think when people start looking at diversity like that, like this is important to our business and I want to get this done and I want to know where the the barriers are because some of those barriers are not necessarily based on race that's one of the things I talk about just in general some of the ways we do things as far as hiring and the way we look at things will stop people from getting into the business you know sometimes it feels like and this is just in general mm -hmm. especially as creators people look for what you don't have versus what you do have sure. right they don't look at the benefits or it shifts right like I've been on interviews where I literally knew that they were looking for diversity I'm diverse. You are. Right? Um, I've been working in the business a long time. I worked in all these different places. And then I get in some conversation like, so have you done a small space mobile campaign about women's feet? <laughs> like, no. It's like, oh, I was just thinking we might do that one day. You're not right for this job. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, I thought I was here for something else, right? Like, it's kind of like... You can't get the job until you've yeah, done the job. It's, it's weird. It's like, you know, it's like you don't need to be perfect, right? You know, And you don't have a bunch of perfect people here. It's like, what are you really trying to solve for? You would never tell somebody, I'm not going to show you an apartment in New York because it's not perfect, right? But if you're telling me you need diversity, then you, when you find somebody that's diverse that fits the building, I think you should probably hire them, right? You shouldn't yeah. be asking what's wrong with them and passing them through a filter of 80 other people for that one person to say something weird, right? Because that's kind of what happens in our business. I've seen where people come through, and it doesn't matter. It could be a woman. It, you know, it could be a short guy. It could be whatever. <laughs> and and that person is with color. You know, it's just like everybody loves them. Everybody loves them. And then there's one person that's like, I don't know. They seem kind of arrogant to me. <laughs> and that person's out. Like, how does that happen, right? Nobody in the room goes... Well, you, 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 that's they, a knucklehead comment. Are they just I afraid to hire, up. you think, then? They no, I just, make a mistake I just think that's the way it's always been done. You know, there's a lot of people in the process that that look at things, and I don't think all those people are aware of what the parameters are, what we're really looking for on that, that given day. Really? You thought Well, I think it's the slow? pipeline. You yeah. know, the talent pool. A little pitch for Brand Lab. There we go. Um, <laughs> but I think it is the pipeline. So I think we need to engage people that Brand Lab is doing at a younger, much younger age to, to really consider this industry um, as an option and a career path. And, and it can't start, you know, their senior year of college. It needs to start in high school. It needs to start younger. We need great role models. Um, but it's definitely the talent pool and pipeline. I mean, if, mm -hmm. it, you know, if people aren't interested in coming into this industry because they don't think that they fit in or belong or whatever, um, that's a problem. And it's a big problem that we have that we can fix and address by doing by getting involved, um, and mentoring is great, and I, I like that analogy of the bosses or the client's <laughs> kid, yeah. so I think that um, we can take on another, um, take that on to another place. Um, we have people with microphones somewhere, and so if you want have a question, raise your hand, and they will come to you, and I don't want to let down Ellen. I want to get back to Brand America, because I... Uh, I know that Robert felt like 
you can't do. Can you do the big pitch to all of America You still. can do anything. You can do anything. Is there value in it? Are my kids here? Did you hear that? <laughs> you can do anything. <laughs> I don't see any other questions. So, Robert, you... Oh, here we go. There he goes. Number first one. So, I'm fixated on the bar and the conversation around pipelining and setting the bar high. <clears throat> but I think the bar is like multidimensional and a white supremacist society has a bar that's based on a measurement that maybe if you come from a different background, the bar's not going up and down, it's going left and right, or 75 degrees this way, or whatever. And <clears throat> one of the things I've seen in my six and a half years in the industry is people are kind of mediocre, and then they become really good once they get in. Hmm. And they let the bar grow in whatever direction works for them. And that's one of the things I'm kind of fixated on. Does anybody have any uh, opinion on that? I mean, we're expecting you to be a rock star the day you arrive at the agency. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I think that's a... <laughs> I think it obviously depends on the level that you're hiring, too. And, and I think, you know, for, for people starting out in the business, obviously, clearly, they need experience and they need opportunities, and that's anybody. Um, I think that, um, you know, maybe you could talk to the bar, but... Um, I, I, the expectation is that you're not a rock star the day you arrive. That you're, you know, talented. Obviously, you, you know, connect with the culture. Culture is important. Um, you know, at our agency, culture is everything, and we look for people to enhance the culture and make it better, and not look like us or be like us. Like, who's who are we going to bring in that you know that we don't have here? I think Kate is going up to somebody. Uh, what inspired you to get into the biz? Um, like, I, when did you to say I should be in that? that I saw world? a Super Bowl commercial for um, Porsche, actually, mm -hmm. and it was really cool. It's like they just opened up, and it was this point of view of a car going down the street, and they asked if you were a car, what car would you be? Right? I'm a Ferrari guy. That's <laughs> and so I was like, oh, I'd be a Ferrari, right? And then it just kept telling you, you have double wishbone suspension, you have, you know, twin cam engine, all this stuff. And I kept saying, what's the car? What's the car? And then it just spun around. It was like, you'd be a Porsche 944 or whatever. And I was like, wow, I, could, I think I could make this up, right? <laughs> I mean, I was good at art in school and I, and I was good in English and writing. And I was like, oh. And then in my neighborhood, you had to be able to do the dozens of joke, right? You know, do the, the jokes you so poor. Or, mm -hmm. you know, X, Y, Z. Um, so I was good at that, too. I was like, well, I can make stuff up. Because that's really like, how cool is this car? How fast is this, you know, I, you know, how good is this food? Like, what would you do for it? I can make this stuff up. And that's when, you know, that's when I started looking into it. Um, I was studying marketing at the time. And then I went to my, um, uh, my counselor. And she said, well, you're at the wrong school. <laughs> you should be studying advertising so I transferred schools and took up advertising and journalism and that's kind of how I kind of came to the business mm -hmm. uh, I think that Kate has somebody up there with a microphone I see the microphone hello hi so um, totally agree about the pipeline and, and I'm a creative director and I'm thinking about like our last open position that we were recruiting for you know like 40 people applied probably more than half 80% were white 80% were male um, so there just there wasn't a lot of diversity in the pipeline, and I'm, I was thinking about um, uh, professional orchestras. When you audition for an orchestra, um, they're blind auditions. You're behind a screen. We don't know if you're a man or a woman. We don't know your age. 
What do you guys think about the notion of stripping out um, identity, I guess, from the audition, the portfolio process? Would that help so that we're, we're only looking at the book? We're not, we don't know if this art director or writer is a man or a woman. We don't. Does, would something like that help? Um, because we, we tell you part of the process is it's about the book. It's about the talent. Um, but if the pipeline you know, doesn't have enough diversity in it, I don't know. It's it's just an interesting quandary to kind of to to deal with talent and and then also casting for diversity. Um, so I'm just curious what you think about the idea of kind of blind auditions. Who's going to go, TD? Yeah, I mean, I I can definitely speak from it from uh, you know recruiting into um, the the brand world or on the on the client side. Um, that's an interesting um, interesting technique because to your point about the book or the work speaking for itself, I may have a slightly different perspective and here's what I mean by that. Everybody who I interview, everybody who you know we go recruit is good, right? Everybody has a great book or you know gray matter. And to me what really separates them is that individuality. You know, what are the experiences, what are the perspectives, what are the lenses that they bring that enables that gray matter to actually help us move our business in the right way. So for that I need to look at you. I need to see you. I need to get within your soul so that I can understand how you tick. And then I know that that gray matter can actually be translated into something that's going to enable us to help our business. So from my perspective, I wouldn't want to have it blind because then it's just all gray matter that everybody's probably going to be good. I don't know what you guys think. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of crazy, right? Um, yeah, I think that could work. I'm all about just trying different things. I think that's very interesting. I think another exercise that would be crazy would be let's get a bunch of books in the room, have everybody look at them, and then pick the one we like the least. And what I mean by that is just having somebody who thinks totally different from you, meaning you look at their book, I don't even know what it is, right? Like, <laughs> like I, I don't understand where you're coming from. I, just a quick story. I, I did a... Um, uh, my my agency, uh, we did uh, this stunt um, to get black women to vote in the midterm elections, right? And it people loved it. They shared it. It was on all of the African American social media and magazines. They loved it to death. And then I showed it to this guy that was a um, CEO of an agency that I know from a, a long time, and he he looked at it and he was like, "Oh wow, it's a great idea, but there's something missing, right?" Like like he kept saying, "I wish it was this and I wish it was that," and there's just something missing, Robin. I said, "Yeah, a black woman judging is what's missing, <laughs> right? Like you don't know." all of these intricate things that's in here and that's happening that people love about this. You're not the target. He was looking at it for like, is it going to win a can lion? Not, you know, what would be the best idea? What would be different versus the target? Right. And so I think, you know, sometimes, you know, if it's me and I got a team and I got, you know, 10 funny writers, I want somebody who's not funny. I want somebody that's crazy or serious. So I think maybe the idea of just literally picking who you wouldn't pick, it's like opposite day, right? <laughs> like, it ain't working this way. Why don't I just pick the person I would be least likely to pick and put them in the mix? Because again, I think you get another what if in the room. I, I like 
weird people, maybe because I'm weird, but <laughs> I like weird people who come in and say crazy things to me where I just look and go, what? what does that mean? Where'd you get that from? And then they tell me, oh, I grew up in Alabama. And that's what we used to do when I was a kid. And I'm like, oh, okay, let's throw that in here. Maybe that'll make this interesting. So I, I think, you know, I like, I like the radical idea and I think we should have 10 of those and and let's put them in motion. Let's get this thing going. Yeah. Tomorrow. <laughs> like, like, like the brand managers like to say, go out and get something today. <laughs> right up there. Hi. So, hi. I have two um, quick thoughts. One is I've been thinking about the question you asked at the beginning about is it possible to appeal to everyone? And, like, yeah. is there a brand that has done that? Um, and it's not a like packaged good brand, but I think there's an entertainment brand that to me I think does the best job I've ever seen of appealing to the widest range of people and that is the Fast and the Furious. Mm-hmm. I <laughs> am not joking. I That, especially starting with the fifth movie, like I just feel like that's the only, right, you know that's when it happens. Yeah. Like yeah. Don't, don't act like you don't know. Yeah. Number but, four. So here's what I mean. That's the only brand that I've been able to read about in the Atlantic and in People and I hear people on NPR talking about it like it is of all the brands that I've ever encountered it's the one that appeals to the highest number of people and I think it does it by being unabashedly itself you guys talked about being authentic like that movie has never or that franchise has never tried to be anything other than what it is but when you look at it on paper it it doesn't necessarily add up like what it has become the math does yeah. not work. No, it doesn't. <laughs> but it, but it is what it is, and so that so I wanted to just put that out there that I think it is possible to be totally a hundred percent yourself, and through the process of being that, be so appealing to such a wide variety of people, and also a family and racing. <laughs> That's what it's yeah. And also the rock. Like I yeah. really think yeah. <laughs> it was a great great addition. And Jason he's, he's the other brand with that the like, baby. literally no one doesn't love him. Okay, so my second quick point is I just wanted to throw out a contrarian opinion to spice it up a little bit. Um, I I don't know. I don't think it's a pipeline problem. I really don't. I think it is a laziness problem mm. on all of our parts. And mm. um, and I I, I put myself in that too for many years it was just like I don't know we're just not getting the resumes like here's the thing what do you do what's your role uh I'm the COO of clockwork okay um so for for many years I think I had that shared opinion like oh yeah it's just I don't know we're just not I don't know I guess there just aren't like as many women developers we're just not getting the resumes the truth is you just have to work harder like the people that are are immediately attracted to the culture of your company and your brand are by nature people who are somewhat like you. And so you have to do a lot more legwork to get out and reach communities and people who don't look like you. Like to your point about like pick the book that you that you wouldn't pick. Like you have to do legwork. And so we have to prioritize doing it. It's not just the pipeline. People are out there. We just don't know them. And we have to get out there and know them and take them under our wing and introduce them to our, to our industry. Yeah. All right. Great. I, I was hoping you were creative. I was going to say I want a concept with you. Um, I don't like the Fast and Furious movies. No? Um, and maybe it's because I have to take my kids to see it. Right? But, so I'm not going to go with that example. I like the second thing you said, but I don't, I don't like that movie. We got a man here in the front row in a bow tie. Um, thank Hi. you. Um, so... 
first of all, for the, the Fast and Furious comment, um, if you look at the progression of their movies, actually each movie has gotten more diverse. So if you look at one and two, one was in Southern California, two was in Miami with like a heavy Latino base, three was in Japan actually, which brought in the drift scene. So yeah. throughout all the like, so sorry, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so so part of it was actually, and if you look at the last one, and sorry, I'm getting deep on y'all, but if you look at the last one, actually they Vin Diesel made a point to go out and find international known people to fill in the roles. So there's a Brazilian soccer player, Neymar. Mm -hmm. um, there's like a Swedish dude in there who no one knows except like in Sweden, which opened like 17 million. Yeah, but he's, yeah, yeah. And so part of it is, I think, if you truly believe in your brand or in tune with it, there are things that cross lines of nationality and race and reach. So you can reach everyone, but it has to be a truly uh, genuine and authentic reach. Because then you do have a movie like Fast and Furious, which does not add up. But across the world is, is truly successful. Um, my question is, and for each of the panelists, um, and it's in reference to the first question that was asked by the creative director, um, is... Could you talk about uh, an instance where you tried something different or you took a risk or you did something that was non-traditional that netted out? Because, um, you know, I graduated from Morehouse, which is in a collective of schools full of minority students, right? I know 30 guys on my phone right now that would be great in agency roles. Um, but traditionally, agencies don't go there. So as an agency, part of what we do is trying to find that different angle, that, that truly unique insight. Could, so could you go through an instance for each of you where you did that and it did net out so, so we can sort of hear an example of what that looks like and then how we can apply that into recruiting? <laughs> Lily, I'm going to make you a start. <laughs> well, I mean, I think that, um, I mean, we, we I was, that's a hard one, but I would say that probably the most recent experience I've had is, is we're working on a campaign um, that targets Hispanic males in their 50s, and we don't have a whole lot of Hispanic males in their 50s in our office, and so we found them. Well, are you 50 or not 50? Um, but I think it's, you know, we, right away we, we knew that we needed to go up outside of, of the realm. And we had some representation in the office, but not enough. And so we actually hired um, and partnered with, with somebody who had that market just to make sure that we um, understood the nuances. Um, and, and, it, and it's been a successful, we haven't launched it, but the client was very happy. We did take one risk um, with an idea that we had, but we weren't sure if it was culturally appropriate. Um, and they got a little uncomfortable, but they appreciated the fact that we pushed it. Um, so we'll, I'll let you know what happens. But I mean, I think it, that's the thing. It's, if we didn't, don't have the people at the table, we need to make sure we find the people that, that um, would, you know, that that, that audience would, would resonate with. Robert? Um, I, I can't really think of an example where I would say I took a risk. Um, what I will You don't seem do, like a risk taker. <laughs> nah, I mean, look how I'm dressed. I'm a simple man. Um, <laughs> but what I, what I do is I will, I'm open to talking to anyone um, about the business and giving them the inside deal of everything they're going to encounter. So I've met a lot of people coming into the business and 
it, it really didn't matter their race or gender. Just people that I knew who came to me and said, I want to come into this business. And then I would kind of lay out, you know, some of the pitfalls and the things that happened to try to teach them the game from the other side. Like when you talk about the pipeline, um, for me, um, once I decided that my goal was to see one commercial on TV that I had done, I wasn't going to let anybody stop me, right? So, you know, like we, you talk about your friends, right? Like, so when I came into the business, yeah, I encountered some things that were weird and maybe some of them were my imagination and some of them were real. But at any rate, I wasn't going to let anything stop me. Um, I think a lot of people are lured into the business at some, you know, college fast. Somebody brings them in because they got great grades and they're very talented. But then when they get into the business and they start running into, you know, it's a thousand people working at the company. It's that one guy that trips you on your way to the water fountain or whatever. And that upsets them and they turn around. So what I do is I love to sit with people and say, here's how it works. Here's the games that people play. Here's what happens with your book. And this has nothing to do with uh, your race or your gender. This is just how this game is played, right? I mean, because, you know, like Mad Men, this game is supposed to, you know, I heard it was a little dirty, right? Like it got a little tricky. And so I try to teach people everything that I know and then give them the path to take, saying, you know, I've met many people who wanted to come into the business. I'm like, you need to go to ad school. Right, and they're like, no, 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 I'm ready. I'm like, no, 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 no. You need two more years. Don't look at the other person. Let's look at ourselves now. Let's get your book together and look at long term versus thinking about just getting a job. Let's think about your career for 20 years. Ad school would do you great, right? And then some of those people come back. You know, three years later, the person's like, oh, I'm applying for the job. I'm like, I'm like, who? Who is this? <laughs> like, oh, I met you one day. I sat in your office and we talked. And I'm like, oh, okay, all right, cool. And they're back. And so I. I think, you know, some, that what I've done is just tried to help people and have a ear. And then I've also tried to check people because I'm a two-side guy, right? Meaning when somebody's in my agency and they're new and they're different or, you know, they're, you know, and, and, and they're messing up, you know, because sometimes you don't want to, you know, people in groups don't want to check their own group. I'm like, hey, that's not how it works here, right? Like, you know, you can't run the street game. This corporate America, right? Like, <laughs> or, you know, you need to be here on time. Or, you know, here's what you really need to do. You know, you really need to work harder on, you know, your small space print. Don't blame other people, right? Like, you, sometimes you got to look at yourself, you know? And um, so that's what I try to do. I just try to help, like, on the ground versus in, in a big way of just trying to get people that support and having them be able to pick up the phone and call me and say, here's what happened. What do you think the deal? is and how should I react to it when have you taken a risk that paid off or, pu- or pushed a little harder yeah, and you're yeah, nervous I, about it yeah I think the and it kind of gets to the courageous conversation we were having earlier so early early in my career uh, I was on a brand it was, it was a beer brand pretty big beer brand and uh, I was in charge of the multicultural marketing for that beer brand right so I was the black guy who was trying to market to black people <laughs> yes that's how it works <laughs> So, uh, <laughs> but I was pretty junior, right? And, uh, but when we came up with a pretty good campaign, pretty good idea, I was like, you know, this isn't just for black people. Like, this could work for everybody. So having the courage, I think, to actually go to the CMO at the time and say, hey, I really think we should be pushing this, knowing that it was going to upset, you know, my other counterparts who were working on the general market part of the brand, right? Because remember, I'm the black guy on the black part of the brand. Stay in your lane, right? Um, so there was courage there that I had to do. But the good thing was when the CMO saw it, he's like, wow, this this does actually make sense. And similar to the story you said, we did both ads, and it was amazing to see the response to the 
ad that was targeted toward black people and how much the insight, that core job, that's why I go back to, if you can find an insight that actually is universal, that's a human truth, it doesn't matter what color you put the casting in, the, the ad is going to be. And that's what we end up doing. And so what that did for me ultimately, and that kind of led to the way I think about even recruiting is, we need diversity of thought in all of the areas that we look at in terms of brand building. Because it's that diversity of thought that gets you to those human truths. And then you can figure out how you want to portray those human truths in terms of casting and all that other kind of stuff. So that was one. There's someone with a microphone up there. Oh, I can hear me. You're well, somewhere. this is a good uh, here. Um, segue. Speaking of like cognitive diversity, I think that we talked about Pepsi and the power of groupthink and how destructive groupthink can be when everyone's like, yeah, it's a good idea. You know, you get on the road to Abilene. Um, and I think hiring for diversity is really only the beginning. I mean, how do we create a culture where people feel safe to say in a meeting room, that's a terrible idea? And also that the reception would be like, uh, I don't really feel like redoing it, you know. So I think there's like a laziness problem and there's also a need to be accepting of people having a contradictory opinion. I think I've asked you guys this a couple times. Uh, how do you do that in a meeting or, 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 you know, get people to speak up? I had a, I worked with a team that was... Anytime we we talked about how the show had went, it, it was it was people were tense and it was horrible and it was just an hour of live radio. It's fine, people. It was just an hour of live radio, and I would tell people explicitly, it's okay to say what went wrong because it's done and we can do it better tomorrow. We won't do it better tomorrow unless we talk about it. And if you point out something that someone did wrong. It is not a criticism. It's not undercutting them. It is just we're talking honestly about it, and this is no big deal. And I try to lower the, the lower the, the importance of it, so we could actually talk about how things really were going. How do you, in a meeting, say to people, "What do you think?" Here's Kendall Jenner, and we have a person of every single background in the United States. We have, we have uh, people doing different things. They're all coming together and isn't it great? And you're the person, you've got somebody there who is going to raise their hand. How do you actually do that? Well, I wouldn't say it's a bad idea. I mean, I think it's how you deliver your concern. And I think it's, it's you know, obviously if you have experience or if it's something that makes you uncomfortable, uh, even if you're not 100% sure, I mean, I think it's how you package the concern um, and, and deliver it in a way that someone's going to listen. Because I think if you obviously shoot somebody down, um, that brings up some other dynamics. But I think, you know, whether you feel comfortable doing it in the meeting, you know, if the client is in the meeting and probably not the place to do it, maybe it's sideline and have the conversation, like, you know, here's some risks. I don't know if we thought about this. This could offend some people. I think it would be, you know, let's dig a little bit deeper. And, and then obviously it depends on the culture, the agency, you know, the team, um, and hopefully they'll listen. Um, and I think, but I think that that's what we need to do a better job of is listening because we all have experiences, we all have backgrounds, we all have um, ideas, and it's not just the senior person in the room who um, I think gets the final say. Or maybe you do. <laughs> TD, TD does. Um, got the final say. Yeah. There. 
Hi. Hi. So I'm actually going to totally change topics. Totally fine. I uh, hope you guys don't mind. Maybe get a little political here. So get ready. Um, when we were initially talking about Brand America, I'm curious what your thoughts are. If you could verbally draw me a picture, what would Brand America have looked like for you beginning of 2016 versus what Brand America looks like for you today? What a good question. You should be up here next time. Oh. <laughs> Thank you. I'm Taylor, yeah, by the way. Great. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> I think you're Yeah, there. go ahead. <laughs> now I'm going to be political. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to do an Obama for you. Um, I, to me, it looks the same, right? To me, the principles and the ideas around America are the same. They, people might have a, a different, different barriers or they might have different benefits from those things, but the general idea of America still stands. Um, I guess I'm not like some people, uh, you know, like my my ten year old who was like after the elections, like Daddy, let's move to Canada. Right? <laughs> I'm like, where are we going? Why are we running? Right? Like, if somebody comes to our house and does something, then we don't leave the house because they're doing something, right? Like, we have to stay here and create the, you know, be the change we want to see. Like, so it doesn't look that different for me. I just think it's um, people feel differently. I don't necessarily feel different. I just look at it as another challenge, right? Um, fortunately, I would say I grew up playing sports, and so I always look at, oh, this is great. This is another barrier to overcome. Every time I see something, it's like, oh, this is going to be great when I overcome this. So if you you feel odd about the climate, I think it's uh, it's almost like a redirect. It makes everybody wake up. You know, hopefully it made everybody say, okay, so maybe I should get out and stand up and do something where we might have just stayed level if whatever might have happened that you don't like happened. Um, I have I have a picture, a bubble, um, personally. Like, I've been living in a bubble. The people around me, we think alike. We have the same values, you know, and I think that that, that was something that was, for me, it was, it was uh, more reflective. Obviously, well, personally upsetting, but more reflective in terms of, you know, who I hang out with, who my kids hang out with, uh, who I work with. And I think it's, it's, it's definitely um, trying to figure out how we have these conversations with, with, you know, maybe this America we weren't totally aware of. Yeah, it's, it's a, it's a really, really great question because in my opinion, brand America didn't change, but America was more aware of the the feelings and the emotions and the you know the idiosyncrasies that we have and I think that's what's changed right we we are now aware of things that were always probably there they were just latent and they they came to the forefront and so now the question is all right well how do we action upon that now that we are aware of what those new feelings are you're in a your company's was pretty in touch with Trump America and rural America. Did it change anything about what, what you were, I mean, did you already have Sasquatch ready to go? And, or Yeah, I mean, I think, and, and I think one of the, if you want to say the benefits of a 
portable meat snack beef jerky company, yeah. is you're kind of kind of talking to the hooks and bullets guy already, right? Yeah. That's that's what the guy eats. And, and I think for us, it was really about expanding that base to people who weren't necessarily, quote unquote, middle America. Um, and that's the thing that we were doing. And, but, you know, we're really trying to focus not on what makes us different, but what actually makes us the same, which is, hey, everybody wants a good, healthy snack. And I don't care what color you are, where you live, or what your socioeconomic status is. I want to stay healthy. I want to eat healthy. And that's what we try to provide. All right. Uh, we're going to... Hello. Hi. Hi. Um, I'm a student at U of M. Uh, not only that I'm the person of color, but English is actually my second language. And um, since I moved here, uh, I decided to go back to school. And every single person that I met <laughs> in my front in my family, my mom's friends, everybody have talked me out of being in the marketing field. Um, (laughs) But, you know, I never see myself as a student of color. I see myself just as a student. And I I always say that, okay, I'm going to prove to my future employee that I can do a good job by, like, um, perform well in all my classes, get high GPA, earn uh, volunteer activity, everything. Um, so I, I'm trying to prove to myself that I should not listen to other people. Um, however, when I'm looking to, uh, for internship, I see that challenge. Um, no matter what I do, I practice and then practice. I have high GPA. I, I talk to mentors and everybody. I fail. <laughs> so my question is like my question is what can I possibly do better to to um be successful? Are you, are you getting interviews for the internships or where is the where is the barrier coming? Um I don't know. First I applied to like thirty company um about I say six of them answer me back, uh, about four of them invite me to an in, interview mm-hmm. and um one of them accept me so and it's funny because the person that accepted me and interviewed me was a person of curler interesting one you're very young yeah, yeah. you got a you you've got a future this this can happen let's get advice from when these you're people. in a room full of people who yeah. is anyone looking for an intern mm-hmm. um <laughs> i have to say in this town it's super competitive so last year what did we have 200 people 200 people apply for seven eight positions super competitive so i think yeah. um one you know i think part of it is the application i would get involved in ad fed too i would get involved in industry related stuff and start networking it's it's you know being able to to meet people maybe get you know maybe it's not even an internship we do a lot of shadowing where people you know we can't take every intern but we can bring them in for four hours and have them experience the agency and it's a great way to meet people and maybe they they don't have um, a spot for you but maybe they know somebody who has a spot and you get to learn about agency life and all the different jobs um, and functions that it takes so I think you know Mm -hmm. asking for a shadow you know could I come in I mean I don't think anybody would deny you that and then she could learn more about what particular roles are and maybe realize I want this one and really be able to lean into that yeah 
I, to build upon that, number one, don't get discouraged. Yeah. Right? We've all been there, okay? Mm-hmm. It, it, it's, that's, this is just going to be life. Here's what I would tell you, and, and you know, it's, it's interesting that we're talking about brands and how to appeal. You got to start thinking about yourself as a brand, right? When we go and purchase a product, essentially we are hiring that product for a job. And we are interviewing a bunch of products. If I choose Coke over Pepsi, it's because Coke is, is I'm hiring them to do something that I don't think Pepsi can do, right? You've got to figure out what makes you distinct from the other brands, i.e. individuals that are trying to be hired for that same job. And, and once you can hone that and really be able to crystallize that and then articulate that, I think you're going to find that those interviews are going to go a lot differently for you, okay? And I'm happy to help. I can leave you my card and we can talk about that. I spent a lot of time with students teaching them how to hone into their own brand so that they can then dis- make themselves distinct just like the products try to make themselves distinct in the marketplace. Okay. Someone over there. Hey, I see you. Hi. Howdy. Um, so I'm sitting next to, I think, quite a few students who have been in the brand lab have been interns. I'm proud to say I've either mentored or been involved with them. And that last young woman, wow. Can you all just stand up, please? Like anyone that's been at Brand Lab alone, you guys, stand up. Hey. That's great. Stay standing, please. The comment about pipeline and not being lazy, I think, is key. If you're serious about change, look at these faces. These are the people that you should be looking towards, right? This is your pipeline. So when you're out after this event, having a cocktail, talking to your colleagues, stop and introduce yourself to them. You're the professionals. They're new. They're trying to get in. Open the doors for them. That's my comment. Now I do have a question. You guys can sit down. (laughs) (laughs) So my question is around branding yourself, right? So I've been fortunate to hire some young folks uh, recently, and I'm really focused more so on soft skills, their resourcefulness, right? I don't care whether they've actually had the experience. I want their attitude more than their aptitude. And I'm really curious for you guys' perspective on how to best identify that, how that's played out potentially uh, in the folks that you've hired, and how you can help grow and encourage that still the experience will come, right? So how do you identify the right people that are going to do something with it? Well, sometimes it helps uh, exact, with exactly what you said, not necessarily at the um, uh, attitude, but they might have a certain skill. I just hired a, um, a young man who happened to be really um, deep into uh, street fashion and um, uh, sports in the Chicago area and uh, one of my uh, clients is Nike right and so he could really bring a lot of uh, connections personally to uh, people within the sports industry so we leaned on that more so than his um, uh, aptitude as an art director we lean more on his ability to help us with experiential events and things of that nature and we use him in that capacity while training him at the same time so I think that's a you make a great point of finding a way to bring the person in to help you and add value in one way and then you kind of you know it's almost like a trade in reality you're getting something that you don't have internally and then you're giving them some knowledge let's go up right up here 
Hi. Um, so I think there was a comment from several people that touched on the same thing. You were mentioning, Lily, about feeling like you were in a bubble and people were talking about um, the like getting like, where when you see strong leadership in a company, you feel very at home in that place when you are like those people. I work for Clockwork. Sorry, we're hogging the mic. But um, <laughs> we have very strong female leadership that's very outspoken about supporting female people, people that are uh, um, LGBTQ, and that makes a safe space for those people. So my, And then, Lily, you were mentioning having specialized agencies who um, helped with a campaign that you were working on. So my question is, are you comfortable with moving the needle slowly to say, okay, we will create a safe space for people that feel safe here and then slowly moving that to expand into other areas or do you feel like you need to expand your clients or your your employee base to be everyone right away so that it is fully inclusive or are you comfortable saying, no, you know what, this is a pretty safe space for for certain people and we'll start there? Well, I think for us, it, you know, I mean, we're independent, you know, privately held company. I think we've been hired, we hire obviously based on our clients' needs, but also making sure that um, we're, we're constantly interviewing. I mean, we, we are constantly looking for talent, you know, for those opportunities that may come up. Um, I don't know if we would call it a, a safe space. Knox extremely diverse. Um, we have a lot of only-onlys in our office, which I think makes people feel like at least they're a part of something, um, myself included. And so I think that, you know, I think if it, our approach is we're not interested in finding people necessarily like us. I'm super curious. I'm attracted to people like Rob who are a little off. I look for those. <laughs> no, no, no. Off in a good way. Off in a good way. Way, but I, I look. I say it about know, myself. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it's exactly. self-deprecating. Right, right, it's right. different. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I look for those. You know, I don't care about someone's GPA, honestly, and I'm not sure I really care about the fact that they even graduated school. We have a lot of people in our office that don't even have a four-year degree. I care about experience. I care about passion. Um, I care about their dreams. And you know, I, I, it's not a job. This is a lifestyle. This is you know, you have to be passionate. You have to be kind of crazy to do what we do and do it all day, every day, you know, 24-7 now. But I think it's um, really looking for, and then also I have my own sort of biases and um, ideas about, so it's bringing other people into that conversation as well because, you know, I could look and interview people and be like, oh, not that interesting to me, um, which also isn't fair because that's my lens, that's my experience. I like the weird stuff on the resumes. That's real, not like don't make it up and try to, you know, push it through. I love people who speak other languages. That's something that, you know, I just think is interesting. Um, you know, there, we have trick questions that we ask during the interview process. So, um, like what? Yes. I want to hear a trick, trick question. Trick, trick. Yeah. Like, do you like to shop? Because we have a lot of clients who are in retail. And I just gave out our trick question. <laughs> um, but making sure that we're hiring people that obviously are passionate about the work that we're doing, too. And why do they even want to work at Knock? I mean, you know, there's like a hundred other amazing places that they could go work for. So I think it's, you know, I think it, I seek out the, the, the outliers too. Let's have one final question. I think we should wrap it so people can get home. Hi. Hi. So you, thank you for being here, number one. And so you've tapped the pipeline. You found a wonderful person with a very diverse perspective. But now how are you going to keep them? Because you're leaders of the organization, but they're not working with you every day. How do you 
trickle down that culture to everyone there to be as accepting and understanding of someone with a different perspective. And I think that's good in combination with the last question. If you are just trying to diversify the people that are working with you and you can only, you're smaller or you, you can only do it person by person, keeping that diverse talent around can be really hard. Any advice? Well, I think you got to check in. I don't think it's one of those things where you just bring people in. I think walking around the office, you know, coming out of the ivory tower. And <laughs> come, coming no down. tower. <laughs> no, but yeah, I think cell, maybe. coming around and checking on people and seeing how they're doing and asking the question. I think just somebody in power asking the question like, how's Robert Clifton doing? I bumped into him and, and this is a trick two that you can use if you're working, right? I bumped into Robert Clifton in the bathroom. He told me about a great idea he's doing, right? Like, kind of sell yourself as well up the ladder. We, we call it the end around, right? Like, you're having a problem out of your boss, you might talk to your boss's boss in passing. You know, like, yeah, by the way, I'm working on this great idea. And then he'll say, well, where's the great ideas? And then you find out that your boss is killing all your great ideas. But um, I think it's a matter of checking in because when you check in, then that tells the person in power that you're watching, right, in a subtle way. You know, I'm curious to know how they're doing. I thought, I think they're really smart. They showed me something really interesting. I hope we're paying attention to that person and rewarding them and moving them along so that they feel like they're learning and growing because I think that's one of the reasons people leave. I mean, I, you know, I mean, we all know that, you know, people play games sometimes people don't give you something that's challenging or they'll give you something odd to do that makes you feel weird so I think if somebody's checking in and you know that somebody's watching and then that becomes a um, that kind of flows through the system if you will and then that's just a power play I think from the top because I'm in the middle <laughs> You had any advice for keeping talent happy, keeping them around? Yeah, I think, um, you know, it sounds very cliche and platitude ish, but it, it is culture. And, you know, I'm a big believer that people don't leave organizations, people leave people. And one of the things that you have to do, and, and when you think about what culture is, culture is the behaviors, the mannerisms, the attitudes that you reinforce. And so to your point, as leaders, we have to make sure that these are the behaviors that we want to see and these are the behaviors that we want to reinforce. And if everybody's doing that, then when you have that talent, they're going to continue to be reinforced with that same behavior. So that to me is the way to do it. And it's a tough thing. I don't want to by any means say it's easy to do, but you have to just stick with it over and over and over again and drive that culture all the way down the organization. I think an interesting thing about that too is then that would, if, if we're saying that perhaps there's someone who is not as open to diversity, then they would become the odd man out. Exactly. Right? And then technically they would be the one that would want to leave. Right? They're like, I'm getting out of here. All these people about diversity. I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you all for being here. And I just want to a quick plug. We had a brand lab intern at NPR last summer and I only got to meet, she wasn't working with me, she was working on our marketing department, and I only got to meet her on her last day and I had more fun talking with that girl over coffee than anybody, any of my, I'm sorry about my colleagues, than any of my other colleagues last year. She was so passionate and so smart and it was just a breath of fresh air and we were lucky to have her. So if you are considering having a Brand Lab intern, I would suggest it. It was great. Oh, you want to say something? I just have, I just want to end on one quick question. You, you end that question. All right, fine. So, Go. 
I guess, I mean, these are all really, really great conversations, but like, what can I do tomorrow? Like, what can I do with the rest of my week? Why is the needle moving so slowly? Like, do I need to email HR and be like, yo, I don't ha see any diversity in any of the meetings I was in this week. Can you make it happen? Like, do I need to email my boss's boss's boss? Like, what can I do this week to get this stuff flowing? Like, how, what actions do us little people need to take? Well, What's, you're not little people. I think you can, you've got a lot of power, and I think it's making introductions and networking and making, you know, like, hey, I think you need to meet with this person. And um, a lot of times it, it is. It is just, you know, whether it's laziness, whether whatever it is. I mean, I think that, that you know, bringing, I think calling people out and putting them on the spot, I don't know if that's a great strategy. I think it's helping them. Like, hey, here's this great LinkedIn. I mean, there's LinkedIn today. I mean, amazing. There's portfolio links if you're a creative. Um, so I think it is just, you know, everybody participating and pushing. Um, it can't just be, you know, the three people that are making the decisions. Sign up to be a brand lab mentor. Sign up to be a brand lab mentor. <laughs> there you go. TD, Lily, Robert, thank you so much. You guys were great. Um, one last thing from the Brand Lab. Um, thank you to our panelists. We're volunteers. And to Stephanie for guiding us on a conversation. And there is such raw energy for what the Brand Lab is trying to achieve. We came here tonight to really think about Brand America and how marketers really interact with Brand America. We had some time on that, but what I heard is this passion from everyone in the room to make the change that the Brand Lab sees. So when you're looking for something to do, call us. I will call your HR manager and tell them to make the change. So... Widen those networks and keep coming to these kinds of things. It's also about being social, right? Invite people to different places. So I'm just so grateful to all of you and to all of these partners. And um, let's move the needle a little faster. Thank you. Thank you.